0: All right, well, we're going to continue this morning um, on our whole series that we've been doing since January called Experiencing God. We kind of broke it down into three parts. We spent a few weeks looking at God's Word and the role that that plays in um, growing and developing our relationship with God. Then we spent about a month talking about worship and the role that worship plays in growing our relationship with Him. And then for the last several weeks now, we've been talking about prayer. So we are not only wrapping up our section on prayer this morning, we're kind of wrapping up this whole series that we've been on now for about three months together. Um, So this morning, what we've kind of been doing at the end of each of these segments is we'll spend a few weeks talking about the heart of the issue. Um, How does something work? Why do we do it? What's it for? And so we've done that with each of those three categories, God's Word, worship, and now prayer. And then we finished by looking at just some really practical things that help us get going. And so this morning, we're going to look at some types of prayer together. So before we jump into this, um, let's just one more time, pray together, invite God's Spirit to come and speak to us. My, my hope this morning um, in the midst of this is that not only would the Lord speak something direct and personal to us, but hopefully we'd be equipped a little bit um, just to grow in our prayer life and in our walk with God. So let's invite him to come and be our guide and teacher. So. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you're here and present. We thank you that you are the living word. And our desire is that that your word this morning would come alive in our hearts. Holy Spirit, I thank you that that's something that you do. That's something you do in us. You make God's word come alive. I pray it would leap off the page to us. Lord, things that you want us to see personally, things you want us to see as a church together, God, would you highlight them in our hearts? Um, Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you that you want a relationship with us. God, thank you that you love us and you want to communicate that love to us. You made us to hear your voice. You made us to walk with you. God, I pray that you would demystify prayer, that it wouldn't be viewed as this challenging, required religious activity, but God, we would hear prayer as an invitation to spend time with a God who loves us. Lord, do that work in our heart. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. All right, so to kick this off, we're going to check out Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Um, This this sermon this morning, we're going to cover a lot of ground with Scripture. You can take notes. If it's easier for you, you can find these on our website later. Usually midweek they get posted and you can grab those. Um, And so you can check that out later if, if you have trouble keeping up. But Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, let's jump right into this. When and how do we pray? Well, pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Everywhere. It's an all-inclusive thing. We're to be in a state of continually praying. Now, if prayer in our minds immediately is this very specific, rigid, religious activity, that immediately sounds intimidating, impossible, impossible. And I feel like a bar has been set that I'm always going to fall short of. Has anybody besides me ever felt that way in your prayer life? I've totally felt that way. The reality is God is living and he's present and he loves us. And he's involved in every circumstance of our life. And so in every situation, in every season, for all kinds of different reasons, we can be in communication with God. He's present. We can be listening for him. We can be talking to him. So, this morning, what we're going to do, this is not a comprehensive list, but we're going to look at five different types of prayer this morning, give you a little taste of it, show you a couple places in scripture that talk about it. Um, and then we're going to finish by just doing a, having a little conversation about fasting as well and just giving you a little info on why we fast and what it is and how we do it. So y'all ready? All right, here we go. I was not very convinced. Alex is ready. Maybe Crystal. Are y'all ready? Okay, good. All right. Number one. Types of prayer, praise and adoration. Praise and adoration. Adoration just means adoring. Listen, one of the most important parts of prayer is just enjoying God for who he is. It's a relationship. It's not, God, I need, 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 this, 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 right here, right now. God loves us. He wants relationship with us. In in the same way, it's not a perfect picture, but in the same way that we want to spend time with those who are close to us, our, our spouses, our best friends, family members that we're close to. We have that desire to spend time with them. That's what, that's what praying with praise is. It's spending time with God just simply to be with Him. And one way that we can enter into that is reflecting on who He is. Last week, we looked at the Lord's Prayer, and Jesus opened it like this, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. He said, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He reflects on who God is and declares that he's special, hallowed, he's holy, he's amazing, he's wonderful. What a great way to start our prayers. In fact, the psalmist writes and tells us that we actually enter his gates with thanksgiving. We enter his courts with praise, give thanks to him and bless his name one of the main ways that we can move into a time of prayer is by reflecting on who he is. So often my prayer life is driven by my need and by my circumstances as opposed to an invitation to spend time with a God who loves me. But if I begin by remembering who he is, and this is where seeing his character not only in scripture, but doing what we did a little bit this morning, reflecting how he's shown up in my life personally, reminds me of who God is. God, you forgive me. You love me. You're faithful. God, you're good. You're present. You create. Look at this amazing world you've made. Look at the beauty of springtime, reflecting on who God is. A.W. Tozer had this to say about our view of who God is. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I'm going to read that one more time because I think we need to hear it. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Who he is and then the byproduct of who I am in him affects my entire outlook on my life, on how I face circumstances and problems and difficulty, how I interact with people in my life, when, when I have a proper and healthy view of who, who God is, it changes everything, starting with me. It changes me. It changes my heart. It changes my attitude. So to move into this, this idea of praying with praise, just reflecting on who God is, a practical thing I would encourage you guys to do, if you don't know where to start, start with the Psalms. It's a great place to start. David and others regularly are reflecting on who God is, what his character is like, what he's done. They're also very honest. Sometimes the psalmist is reflecting on who God is in the midst of trouble and difficulty. Life is hard right now. God, you actually feel distant. Things are difficult and yet, and then they declare God's goodness. So I'd encourage you not just to read the Psalms, but let that be a place that you can start in your prayer life. God, here's who you are. Here's what you've done. And just declaring that truth. All right, number two. If, if the first type of prayer is praise and adoration, secondly, petition. Petition. Again, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, we're going to look at a slightly different version than what we started with. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication, there's that word again twice there, for all the saints. Now, I don't know about you guys, but the word supplication is not a normal part of my everyday vocabulary. I don't walk around using that word. So here's what that word means. Supplication, it also gets translated requests. If you look at this verse in some different translations, it'll say a lot of different kinds of requests. The idea behind it is to make known a particular need. So it's specific. In fact, it's both communicating needs and wants, desires. God's inviting us to share with him what we need and what we want. And petitions could be on behalf of ourselves and others. God, this is something real and specific and tangible happening right here, right now. I need you. God, in this situation... Um, yesterday afternoon, my brother's in town and we're spending time together as a family celebrate his birthday. And my youngest gets sick while we're there, running a little bit of a fever and just this huge downer. And like when she's crying enough saying, I want to go home, it's not good. Like she wasn't even willing to press through it. She's like, I want to go home and get in bed. Um, and what was so sweet is as we're kind of wrapping that up and getting her and my wife in the car to run them home, my mom just stops and just prays with her for her to be healed. Just a specific, tangible, this is a real thing happening. God, heal Kate. Touch her heart. Help her be calm. Touch her physical body. Heal her. We can stop along the way with everyday things that we are facing and bring our petitions to him. In fact, we're invited to do that. Check out what Paul writes about in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, But in everything by prayer and supplication, there's that word again, with thanksgiving. You notice how this is building on itself, right? We enter God's courts with thanksgiving. I can reflect back on what He has done. And so now in my current need, I'm not thankful that I have this need right now that isn't resolved. I'm thankful that God is the kind of God who cares, who answers prayer, who changes things. I'm thankful for what I've seen Him do in the past. And so I can come with this current need and make it known with a thankful heart. God, my expectation is that you're a good God. And then he says, let your requests be made known to him. You know, I've I've had that wrestling in my heart and mind of like, why do I pray? He knows everything. He sees everything. He knows what's going on with me. More and more, we've got to get in our minds and in our hearts that the issue with prayer is about relationship we have a father who loves us and he is inviting into that relationship. He doesn't just know I need him. He wants to hear me talk to him about it. He wants to hear my heart. God, this is how I feel about this. This is what's going on and this is where I'm at and this is, this is how I feel. This is what's going on with me. And we're invited into this relationship with him. He tells us, let your requests be made known. And then further down in that same passage, Philippians four nineteen, and my God will supply Every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So, when we're thinking about petitions, when we're thinking about our prayer life, bringing needs to him, here's an example of some things in our life that we would bring to him practical stuff, daily bread kind of stuff. I mean, Bill, we've prayed so many times for your job situation, for there to be an opportunity, for you to get through the training, for you to get your license, then for the job to come through. And I love that just all along the way. It's like, hey, this is where I'm at right now, and so I'm praying for this practical daily need to be met. I love that attitude of just involving God regularly and constantly with practical needs. Um, We also go to him when we need healing or help. And this can be on every level. This could be physical healing just, man, mental stuff we're going through. I mean, are, maybe I'm the only one that deals with this, but, like, I get anxious. I turn stuff over in my mind. There's, there's times in my life that I'm grateful I'm a planner, but often it kind of rips me off from the present. <laughs> Anybody else there? Yeah? But listen, the, the stuff that we carry around in our heart and mind, that anxiousness, he cares about that. And we can ask him to come and bring peace to our minds. Man, emotional stuff that we're struggling with. Spiritually. When we're just feeling dry and in need or man, we're trying to overcome some obstacle we've been facing, he cares and he's present. Don't ever feel like your prayer is too small or too petty. It's not. It's not. I think one of the clear ways Jesus addressed that is the way the disciples often treated people who were calling out to him. Kids would show up and what the disciples want to do? Run them off, they're a distraction. And Jesus says, no, let the little kids come unto me weirdos that have kind of been labeled as outcasts that are on the side of the street as he's walking by screaming out for him, Jesus, son of David, help me. The disciples are like, man, be quiet, be quiet. Jesus goes, no, I care about that. I care about that person in that situation and that need. He was never too busy or distracted to stop and take care of something. He was on his way to a house where someone was dying and is crowded around by people. And a lady is like, if I can just get a hold of him and gets her hand on his garment and she gets healed and he stops. Wait a minute, something just happened. An interaction, a moment just happened here. And he stopped and cared for that woman. Man, I pray that we don't minimize our own needs and not bring them to him because, well, that's not big enough. Because what I'm really actually doing is I'm, I'm changing who he is. He cares about every little need. He says, I notice when a sparrow falls to the ground. How much more am I aware of your daily needs? And I care. And so let's bring those petitions to him. Nothing's too small. Number three. This is somewhat in the zone of petition, but I want to talk about it separately. And that is prayers of confession or repentance. This is a practical need. It's a spiritual need but we need to confess our sins to him. First John chapter one, verse seven through verse 10. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sins. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. John's writing to Christians. He's writing to the church. He continues on. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. We have a culture in, in the midst of trying to proclaim love that is minimizing sin more and more and more all the time. I mean, the list of, list of sins has been so shrunk down and minimize, and we think we're helping people, and we're not. Listen, we are not condemned for our sin. Jesus died for it. He longs for us to be free, to be forgiven, to be cleansed. He does all the work, but there's an if in there. Did y'all catch it? What's the if? If I will confess. When we're really to get real and honest about the junk in our lives that is there, man, it can be ninety-eight percent that person's fault. But oh God, that I would own my two percent. That I'd be willing to get real with God and say, God, here's here's where I blew it. And God, I'm desperate for You to forgive me. I'm grateful to my friend Myron Goodwin. We've had conversations about this over the years, and. Um, he's always emphasized, he goes, listen, the important thing that must be a part of true repentance is confession. Name the sin. Have you ever found yourself in one of those situations where either you or the person you're talking to is sort of kind of halfway apologizing, but they're not really saying what they did? When you're on the receiving end of that, it, I almost said a word there I don't want to say. It stinks. When someone's kind of hemming and hawing around it and, well, I'm sorry if that offended you. I gotta tell you, that ain't an apology. You're not owning anything. In fact, you're putting it on them. And that's bogus. What did you do? I said this and it was wrong. I hurt you. Even if my heart intended this, it came out like this and I am sorry. Will you forgive me? There is power in naming the stuff. And here's the deal. We don't have to feel shame because Jesus has taken care of it. We we get locked up and the reality is our freedom is just on the other side of being willing to name it and say, God, this is the thing. I'm reminded of, of the moment in the Old Testament where David had blown it like big time. He'd committed murder. He'd committed adultery. He had covered it up. And the prophet Nathan shows up and he begins to tell him the story about a rich guy who had all these sheep and he robbed the one sheep from the one poor guy to add it. And, and the, the justice in David's heart rises up. Something needs to be done about that. And Nathan looks at him and says, you're the man. You're the man. Man, church. Church. If we would be the kind of people that'd be willing to look in the mirror, not out of guilt, out of condemnation, out of shame, but out of a desire to be forgiven and walk in freedom. If we would be willing to look in the mirror and go, God, what's there? Is there something you need to show me that make me aware of? And then I'd get real and go, God, I'm the man. I'm the woman, that's me. And God, I'm sorry. And name that thing. Through confession and repentance, there's forgiveness. I love what the verse says. He's faithful to forgive. He's just. Think about that for a minute. Is it actually just to let a wrong go? No. Does Jesus actually let the wrong go? No, he didn't. He paid for it. He paid for it. He bore the brunt of that sin and the consequences of it he paid for it and so now he decides since I took care of that justice I want to give it away to you I want you to experience the freedom and the life that's found only in me listen this is why we talk about about truth being like defined Jesus is the truth absolute not not because a bunch of other stuff is bad or wrong because he just has the answer He's the only one who's done it. He's the only one that has taken care of our sin. And God longs to set us free from that sin if we will come to him and confess and repent. See, here's the beauty. Because of who Jesus is, the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, Let us then with confidence, confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I want to take you back for a minute. I want to take you back to a day when maybe you were five, six years old, and you blew it, and you got in trouble, and mom or dad found out, and you got the go to your room, and I'll be there in a minute to talk to you about it thing. How confident of a walk did you have to that bedroom to wait on that conversation that was coming? Probably not very. Usually I'm thinking, like, how do I pad my pants or something, like, I'm I'm nervous. Like when I'm about to get in trouble, I'm nervous. But Jesus says, listen, you can approach the Father with confidence because of what Jesus has already done for us. And so confidently we can go to him. Not arrogantly, not flippantly, but confidently. I can come into his presence and say, God, here's who I am. Here's what I've done. This is what it is specifically. Will you forgive me? And he's faithful and just to do it. One last verse I want to share. I want to encourage you, if you, you have an opportunity, read through Psalm 103, specifically verses 8 through 17, to see a real picture of confession, forgiveness, God's love. But I want to read this one verse that's in the middle of it to you. Psalms 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Anybody ever heard that verse before? Far as the east is from the west. Okay, here's what I love about that. Don't picture the United States map where we can like make a note of like there's the East Coast and there's the West Coast and that's how far away. He's talking directionally. Now, picture a globe for a minute. If we left from right here where we're sitting and we headed north and if we didn't stop walking, we would eventually no longer be heading north. We would arrive at the North Pole and we would start heading south eventually our direction would change. Does he say, I remove your sin as far from you as the north is from the south? No. He chooses his words on purpose. He said, as far as the east is from the west. Let's try the same thing. If I start heading east and I keep going east and Jesus is with me somehow miraculously and we're walking on water, wouldn't that be cool? And I make it across the Atlantic and I keep traveling across Europe and Asia and I get around to the Pacific, at what point do I stop heading east? Never. East and west do not touch. They are opposite directions. God says, that's how I forgive. I don't bring it back up. I don't bring it back around. See, all too often we project what we do onto God. I remember offenses. I bring back up things that my wife has done three months ago and then she's doing it again this month and now I'm really annoyed so I'm bringing it up over and over again. Like that's me. I fall into that trap. But he, in, he invites me into a relationship with a God who chooses to forget. I'm removing it from you. They don't touch. You're heading east. Your sin's heading west. You're, you're not going to pass each other anymore. It's over. It's done with. It's forgiven. That's the kind of freedom that Jesus offers. So talk to him about it. All right, the fourth kind of prayer. Are we good? Y'all hanging with me? Okay, fourth kind of prayer. Meditation and listening prayer. Now, unfortunately, this is a very biblical thing that because of um, other cultures and, and our modern way of thinking and new age culture that's drifted in, the word meditate or meditation has kind of been, been changed in how we picture it. Meditation is not this vague, weird, ethereal, unplugging, emptying my mind and drifting off into some random conscious state where I may discover eventually nirvana or something. That's not biblical meditation. Biblical meditation actually has a focus. It has an aim. It's fixed. And that aim, first and foremost, is on God. Check this out. Psalm 77, verses 11 and 12. I will remember the deeds of the Lord... Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty needs. Meditation on God is about getting my eyes off myself and onto him. It's it's moving into that place in prayer where I'm now listening. Remember, prayer is a conversation. It's a two-way street. Much of our prayer life is us declaring or asking for things in our relationship with God. But we're also meant to hear and to receive from him. Richard Foster, I want to read this to you in his book, The Celebration of Disciplines, has this to say about meditation. This is on page 17. He says Christian meditation, very simply, is the ability to hear God's voice and obey his word. It is that simple. I wish I could make it more complicated for those who like things difficult, but it involves no hidden mysteries, no secret mantras. No mental gymnastics, no esoteric flights into the cosmic consciousness. The truth of the matter is that the great God of the universe, the creator of all things, desires our fellowship. We were made to be in relationship with God. Adam and Eve walked with him in the garden, and there was a beautiful exchange that took place. We've been trying to get back there ever since. Well, Jesus paved the way for that to happen. So we can now learn more and more how to walk with God and hear his voice. And so not only do we practice talking to him about the things that we need, but we can begin to listen to him and say, see what things he may say to us. We can have the posture attitude that Samuel had as a young boy. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 9. God's been calling his name, calling his name, calling his name. Um, the priest finally realizes what's happening and gives him an idea. Hey, this is God talking to you, I think. Get ready, respond to him. And so he simply says, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Man, what if I added that into my prayer life? Giving opportunity, giving time for God to speak into my life. Speak, Lord, I'm listening. And notice the posture of a servant. God, I intend to obey. I'm listening for your voice, and I intend to follow you. I love Isaiah's take on this in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4. The sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue, To know the word that sustains the weary. Anybody ever been there? Anybody ever been weary? Look how he sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning. He wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. It's a daily, habitual thing. God, I want to listen for your voice. Now, the problem is, because this is such a vague zone of just listening for God's voice, we get nervous about it. And we even worry about other people doing it because they're going to get off on some weird tangent, And start listening to some voice that wasn't the Lord's. And doing some crazy risky thing in their life. And and like they're, they're going off the deep end. But scripture thankfully gives us safe parameters to walk in. The scripture doesn't replace our relationship with God. It helps define how we walk that relationship out. It gives us safe boundaries to walk with him. And so scripture gives us some ideas on how we can make sure that when we're listening for God's voice we're not getting off track. So I want to just give you a couple of quick pointers on this. First of all, when you feel like you've heard God speak something to you, just kind of address in your heart, was that like a really clear word or was it a vague impression? Like what, like what was that? God, just give me a little sense of something or does it feel really specific? Then as you're kind of wrestling through that, run it through a couple filters. Number one, God, is this thing that you're saying, does it glorify Jesus? Is this making much of him or is it like making much of me? He's called me to do this thing that, oh, the byproduct is, I'm going to look pretty good after I do that. Or is it about him? Does it glorify him? Secondly, is it scriptural? God, does this thing that I think you're speaking in my life, does it line up with your word? Or is it kind of out of left field and doesn't really fit in scripture? Like, God, does this make sense with who your word says you are and the kinds of things in your word that you call us to do? It can still be personal and specific, but does it line up with God's word? So is Jesus glorified? Does it line up with his word? And then finally, do other Christians confirm it? Man, if you think you've heard something from the Lord, share it with a couple people that you know and trust. Ask them if they'd kick it around and pray about it with you. See if they have any impressions. And have the kind of friends that love you enough so that they'll be honest with you. Go, Jake, that's you. That's a terrible idea. Don't do that. They love you too much to like just give you the easy answer or they'll tell you the truth. Have those kinds of friends i will tell you the truth in love. And then finally, here's, here's a great way to filter it. Does it actually take place? Does the thing that God spoke take place? In other words, don't you go make it happen. Okay, God, I think you spoke something. We'll see what happens. I've run it by a few people. I'm praying about it. I've compared it to your word. Jesus, it might glorify you. I'm just going to keep taking steps forward. And if that's you, it'll happen. If we have to make the things happen that we think God says, then we have to sustain those same things in our own strength and our own energy. But if he said it and he's spoken it and he begins to make it happen, I can walk in what he's doing. He sustains it. He fills it with his life and his presence and his strength. And it can can be fulfilled because it's based on him and not me. Does that make sense? All right, so those are some filters to run through. Are y'all hanging with me? I know we're going through a lot of ground this morning. Okay, number five, last one intercession. Intercession. Okay, Jacob, I'm probably going to go really fast and maybe not read all these verses. I'll just mention them and we can look them up later. Um, All right, so intercession. First of all, this kind of ties in with petition, but it's specifically about praying for somebody else, praying for another situation. So I want to give you a picture of this. In the Old Testament, And this is kind of a common theme throughout Scripture. When a word shows up for the first time in the Bible, it tends to set the tone or define that word throughout the rest of Scripture. So the first time the word intercession shows up in the Old Testament, it's this idea of an intercessor or a mediator. And it's Abraham. Abraham is in the promised land. The territory God had told him would be his, but he doesn't own any land yet. He's just there. He's sojourning. He's there. And Sarah, his wife of many years, has died. And he doesn't want to go back to his old hometown to bury her. He wants to bury her in the place God promised. And so Abraham has to find someone local who knows the people and is a part of that community to be a representative on his behalf to help him purchase a plot of land that had a cave on it where he could bury his wife Sarah. That is the first picture of intercession. Somebody coming in for Abraham, helping him purchase a plot of land where his wife Sarah could be put to rest in the land that one day he's supposed to own. Now check this out. I don't know if you're already catching some of this, but number one, I want you to know this fact. The only, the first and only piece of property Abraham ever owned in the promised land was that spot. It's the only place. God promised him this incredible land that wasn't experienced until generations after. The only place he owned is the spot where he buried his beloved bride. Jesus tells a story about his kingdom where somebody shows up and finds this treasure hidden in a field and to have it, they purchased the whole field. Jesus is our intercessor. He has purchased for all of us forgiveness and eternal life. He's done it for every human who will ever live. And those who die in the Lord, who trust him, we know when we get buried, we're going to live forever eternally with him. His beloved bride will be covered, will be protected. He interceded on our behalf at the cross. He interceded on our behalf when he rose again. He's the mediator between us and God. God, we have need. You are perfect and wonderful. We're apart from you. Jesus is the go-between, the mediator between God and man. In the Old Testament, the picture of intercession involves someone being like a lawyer representing you. It involves um, meeting in battle, or it involves someone who bears a burden you can't bear. Battling a lawyer or mediator and bearing a burden. Jesus did all of those. Check these out later on your own time. But Isaiah 53, that entire picture there of Jesus' work on the cross. And it it paints the picture of him bearing our burdens. And we're told that he makes intercession for the transgressors. He bears our burdens. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. Not only does Jesus bear our burdens like an intercessor does, but he defeats our enemy That passage talks about him triumphing over our enemy when he not only died on the cross, but when he rose again, he triumphed. So he wins victory in battle for us. And then thirdly, Romans 8, verses 31 through 35, paint this picture of him as our representative who died on our behalf, who now makes intercession for us. And so he's our representative, he defeats our enemy, he bears our burdens. All of those pictures we see throughout the Old Testament. And then finally, his current job. You know, he has a current job going on. Jesus is at work right now in heaven on our behalf. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 tells us what he's up to. Therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. He is praying for you right here, right now. Now, I've been talking about ways that we pray. Why am I talking so much about this? One of the coolest things that can grow us in our prayer life is joining Jesus in what he's already doing. When we pray for other people, we aren't just talking to God. We're talking with God. We are standing right there next to our Savior Jesus, together, let's go to the Father for this situation. And we're now participating in the work that he's already doing. You want to learn how to follow Jesus? Pray for other people. I've been jealous at times of the disciples, right? I'm looking and going, man, how cool would it have been to actually walk the planet with him? Well, we get to do that now through prayer. We can walk with the Savior through prayer. We're invited into it. 1 Timothy chapter 2 talks about this beginning in verse 1. Therefore, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, and intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence, for that is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all. We're called to be intercessors on behalf of all men, especially kings. Now, I just want to take note of this in light of our current climate that we're in. Maybe for you, it's been really easy to live a quiet and peaceable life recently. Unfortunately, I make the mistake of getting on Facebook from time to time or reading some political posts and I find it pretty challenging, personally. There's a lot of turmoil. I mean, it almost doesn't even matter where you stand politically. There's plenty of turmoil. Moving away from politics, just the world that we're living in, man, it is tough. And yet the Lord says you can live a quiet and peaceable life, and the pathway to it is praying for people. Imagine if we spent the kind of time praying for people that we do reading about, talking about, gossiping about people, worrying about the problems. If we turn it into prayer, something is sure to change, and that's us. James Hastings, writing on this topic of intercessory intercessory prayer, had this to say, If there be no other result of our prayer, it will certainly have its effect in a changed attitude on our part. No one can pray honestly for another without working for him, And so helping to answer his own prayer. When we begin to pray for other people, we begin to change. Our heart towards that person begins to change. And we're joining Jesus in the work that he is already doing. See, if we practice going to God on behalf of other people, we will begin to notice that we get put in situations where we can go to people on behalf of God. Because we've been praying about them and thinking about them so much, lifting them up, man, God might actually end up using us to be one of the people loving on them and sharing Jesus with them we may be a part of the solution because we're doing that work of prayer. Does that make sense to you guys? All right, so praise and adoration, petition, confession, meditation, intercession. You got, some, you got some stuff in your tool belt there? Yeah, you got some prayer stuff in your tool belt? I would encourage you, I don't know, maybe all this is very familiar to you and it's a part of your prayer life. Maybe there was something new or an area that's been lacking Don't be intimidated by these five things. This is an invitation that the Lord is giving us to walk this stuff out with him and to walk in relationship with him. And so I would encourage you, maybe even just pick one of those to start implementing into your life a little bit more. Talking to God, listening to his voice, and see what he does. Okay. Are y'all good for like three minutes? Okay. It's just, I don't know, I'm sorry, I try to really be honoring the time, but I want to get through this really quick. So here's what I want to tell you. There is about three pages in the notes I'm not going to do that are at the end of the notes that's all about fasting. And I would encourage you to go back and read read through it. Check it out. But I want to give you just a couple of things on fasting. All right, so first of all, why do we fast? Jesus fasted, and we see it throughout Scripture individually. Some examples. People fasted because they were looking to hear or receive something from the Lord. People fasted when they were mourning and going through difficulty. People fasted when they were repenting and seeking mercy from God. They fasted when they needed help or intervention, healing and deliverance, guidance to make good decisions. We also see times in Scripture where a group of people fast together for an intentional purpose. We see it in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 when when the people of God were under attack and they were asking God to intervene and help them. That's the story of Jehoshaphat. They fasted and then they went out in victory worshiping God. In Jonah, Jonah tells the people judgment is coming and the king of Nineveh declares, guys, we're we're all going to fast and pray and ask God to not do this. So corporately, they fasted repenting of their corporate sins. Ezra chapter 8. As the people were preparing to journey back to Jerusalem and rebuild the city and the temple, they fasted, asking for direction and protection. And the prophet Joel, he called a fast for all the people to repent in the light of God's call to return to him. So there's some pictures in scripture. I want to give you a couple of tips on fasting, and then we're going to wrap this up. Andrew Murray, in his great book, With Christ in the School of Prayer, it's an awesome book, I'd encourage you guys to read it. He has this to say about fasting. Prayer needs fasting for its full growth. Prayer is the one hand with which we grasp the invisible. Fasting is the other hand, the one with which we let go of the visible. We learn to let go of these tangible, physical things here on this earth and grab hold of the invisible reality of who God is in his kingdom. It's an amazing discipline to have in our lives. The primary purpose of fasting Is God focused, God initiated, not just, hey, I think this might be a good idea. Like something's stirring in me. I think God's calling me to this. God focused, God initiated, God ordained. It's searching for him with no other objective to manipulate or control. If it turns into, I'm just trying to get something, we're in trouble. It's to be with him for the sake of being with him. It's to find him and to center on him. Now, in the midst of fasting, things can happen. We, we learn to have some things that have control of us. We, we, they sort of get exposed. This thing has a big control of my life. Sin can often be exposed when you're going through a time of fasting. God, would you show me any areas of my life that just need to change? He'll show them. Um, also, we're reminded on what really sustains us. It's not bread alone. It's by the word of God. And it's a reminder of that. It's a physical reminder. Um, Here's some warnings about wrong motivations. Again, Richard Foster from his book, Celebration of Disciplines. Whenever there is a form devoid of spiritual power, law will take over because law always carries with it a sense of security and manipulative power. Biblical fasting always centers on spiritual purposes. If fasting is a form to manipulate or get something from God, Or it's a form to kind of manipulate or control other people, it's garbage and it loses all of its power. It's not a tool to manipulate God. It's not about twisting his arms. It's not to obtain merit or get sins forgiven. Even though they might get exposed on a fast, we're not earning forgiveness. It's freely given through Jesus. We don't have to fast to make sure we're actually forgiven. It's done, it's paid for. It's also not a Christian diet. If you wanna go on a diet, go on a diet. Don't just use this as a way to be spiritual and really you're just trying to lose some weight. Like, it has intentional focus. You laugh, people do it. There have actually been really weird movements built around that that manipulate people into thinking somehow their, their body appearance is directly tied to their spiritual condition and they're enslaved in it. It's, it's nasty. I've seen it. Fasting is not a Christian diet. Do not fast to be noticed by others. Anytime you see the Pharisees doing something that Jesus calls out, you want to run away from that. And he called them out for being hypocrites and being really public about their fasting. Okay, last thing. I want to give you some tips. Um, If you're deciding to fast, have a clear goal and pick a certain amount of time. Decide what fast you're going to do. You do a partial fast, like I'm just going to eat fruits and vegetables. That's a type of fast you can do. It doesn't have to be no food at all. It can be certain things that you're fasting. Um, The Daniel chapter 10 diet is kind of a fruits and veggies only diet. No meat, no bread, water only. A normal fast is a water only fast. So you're not doing any food, you're just doing water. You can actually do that for up to 40 days. However, if you're gonna do any kind of a fast like that, number one, like, listen, medical stuff is real. If you're pregnant, it might not be a good idea to go on a 40-day water-only fast. Like, check with your doctor. (laughs) Talk to your doctor. Are you diabetic? Like, there's real things to consider, okay? The Lord will lead us in how we can fast safely if he's calling us to it. Um, An absolute fast is where you can kind of skip everything. That should be one to three days max. Um, And, again, you need to be careful with medical stuff. You can also have a specific fast where you decide... I'm not going to do that thing. I'm not going to watch TV for a while. I'm going to stay off Facebook for a while. I'm going to whatever. You pick something, you're going to fast. If this is something new to you, don't go, don't decide, I'm going to do a seven-day fast for a week and I've never done it before. Do a day. Pick a day. Do one day. Try it out. Build up. Do three days. Let it be something you just kind of learn that becomes a a part of your life. Um, When you fast, be careful. Be careful. Don't stock up before you fast. It's a bad idea. Taper off a little bit if you know one's coming. It'll help prepare you. Just pay attention to your body. Rest more. Maybe don't do as much exercise. I know this sounds like really random and practical, but like we're meant to fast, but we need to do it carefully. We need to take care of ourselves. And you're going to notice like you're going to be exhausted. You're going to be weak for a few days. Your body's like detoxifying a little bit. You might get some headaches if you rely on sugar and caffeine a lot you can actually get through that to the other side of it during the fast and like reach kind of a cool sweet spot. Um, And then finally, when you're ending a fast, don't go down to Golden Corral and just hit up the buffet. Maybe don't go to Golden Corral anyways, but like definitely don't go to Golden Corral and hit the buffet, okay? You you can hurt yourself. The same thing you do at the beginning where you kind of taper off to it, do the same thing when you're coming back from it, especially if it's been a longer fast. Snack a little bit, ease into it. Um, So there's just some practical tips. That that may have felt to you guys like too much detailed information, but I just want to share it with you all. There's a lot more information in the notes, um, especially on fasting if that's something you ever want to consider or do, and I'd be happy to talk with you guys about that. So there's just some tools in our tool belt to grow in our prayer life. Please don't hear that any of this is an obligation or a religious activity we have to do. We have a God who loves us. He wants to grow in relationship with us. He wants to do incredible things in our lives and through our lives for other people. And prayer is a huge way that we participate in our relationship with him. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, thank you for your great love for us. Lord, we admit it's difficult. God, it's difficult because we have lived lives where we we don't know you. We've been separated from you. I relate to Alex. We've been in those places in our life, God, where there was just this nothingness without you that was blah. But God, thank you that you love us and you've saved us and you have made us for relationship. And so God, would you teach us more and more how to learn and to grow, to talk with you and to hear your voice. Give us a safe pasture to move in, in this area of prayer. Thank you for scripture that helps define it clearly for us. But God, we desire to hear your voice. God, we want to talk to you just for the sake of worshiping you, for adoring you, for reflecting on who you are. God, we want to bring our real practical needs to you. Lord, we're in need of freedom and forgiveness. And so, God, we want to practice confession and repentance. Lord, we want to meditate on you, on your word, on who you are. We want to learn to hear your voice speak into our lives. God, we want to grow and learn how to pray for other people, see you have impact in their lives. On every level, people we know, God, the government figures that we don't know, And then finally, God, there may be seasons where you're inviting us into a fast. Teach us how to do that. Do something incredible in our hearts as we learn to reflect on you, the one who truly sustains us. Your great love for us, who you are, what you want to say to us. Help us to walk this stuff out. We love you. We trust you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.